Hello, everyone. I am so excited. Today we have with us a really insightful guy. We have Jason Lewis of Lewis Fundraising with us. And we're talking about how to do fundraising. And really, one of the important things I want to point out is that uh, Lewis is not a crowdfunding guy. And, and so people who are followers of the show know I'm a big crowdfunding guy. And so this is really going to be a, a fresh perspective so please stick around. You don't want to miss this episode. Welcome to the Your Mark on the World show with your champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. This episode is made possible via the support of our sponsors, including Johnson & Johnson's Caring Crowd. Jason, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? I'm glad to be here. Thank you for, uh, for meeting with me. And uh, as you see behind me, it's an early spring day. Well, thank you very, very much for joining us. We're really excited to have you and look forward to a great discussion. Uh, Jason, I, I am intrigued. You shared some insights with me in advance for our discussion, and I think these are important insights. And um, so let's just jump into this. Uh, you know, as you think about uh, the fundraising work that you do, uh, give us kind of the first, the first insight that you want to share uh, here with how you help organizational leaders uh, with fundraising. Well, I think, uh, Devin, I think one of the primary challenges that we have in the, non the nonprofit sector as a whole has really expanded and it's become a uh, sort of a, maybe a global economy. You know, it's a, it's a marketplace where people can find it's a labor market. I mean, the, the opportunities are vast. And so uh, the fundraising profession has matured. And one of the things that people often hear me say is that I'm referring to the fundraising profession as being in its messy adolescence. And because it's in what I refer to as this messy adolescence, I think the, uh, the profession is, uh, is growing up and it's sort of having to part ways with its, uh, its childhood, some of those younger behaviors. And uh, kind of like my 16-year-old son, I think it surprises us at times. Uh, but at other times, uh, like I tell my 16-year-old son, I wish uh, he'd stop behaving like his 10-year-old sister. Um, so uh, to sort of answer your question, a lot of my work is trying to help non-profitations sort of navigate that messy adolescence that, that, uh, that fundraising finds itself in. Uh, it's... it's uh... It's a powerful, powerful, uh, you know, idea to appreciate that we're still in this uh, adolescence and that there's more for us to learn. And I appreciate the insights you're bringing to us. Uh, uh, you note that increasing fundraising capacity requires that organizational leaders be able to discern between trivial, meaningful, and significant levels of giving. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so... Essentially, I think a lot of our fundraising activities that nonprofit organizations are, uh, the methods that we use, I would argue are generating what I oftentimes refer to as trivial gifts. And what I mean by that is, is I'm not so much talking about the size of the gift. So I often, I, I, I generally say to my audience, you know, refrain from actually thinking about the actual dollars and think about the decisions that are being made inside the head of the donor. And, uh, and so if, if these decisions that these donors are making to give to your organization tend to be rather impulsive and very quick, they're also going to yield trivial gifts. 
which to be fair are going to generally side on the smaller side. And, um, and our fundraising habits, the way in which most organizations carry out their fundraising activities are oftentimes very much characteristic of these, uh, of generating a lot of these trivial gifts. Um, for, for a lot of us, you know, $125 may be, may be more meaningful, maybe may significant, but for I think a, a large majority of our donors out there, the average gift on Giving Tuesday, for example, is, uh, is about $125. And I just don't think that that particular gift necessarily represents a very meaningful place in the heart and head of our donors. So what does that mean in terms of the question that you asked? We have to begin as organizations knowing how to discern first that that gift is what it is, and we have to learn how to move that relationship from the Giving Tuesday experience or the special event or wherever it is we happen to receive that gift and move that relationship to a much more meaningful place and therefore set the expectation a little higher for more meaningful levels of support. So how do you build relationships that yield more meaningful results, more meaningful gifts? Well, I think if, 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 if oftentimes, Devin, I'm oftentimes talking to a smaller shop. And so I'm trying to encourage them to develop patterns and habits that allow them to have the strategic insight that informs the way them that is, that already is informing the way that, that the most mature fundraising operations in this country and around the world operate. And one of those one of those things that we see happening is is that the the initial gift becomes the venue becomes the avenue if you will it becomes the way to get to that meaningful relationship. So rather than focusing on the initial gift that is generally relatively trivial, we're seeing that as simply an opportunity to pick up the phone in a lot of cases and say hi, thank you for this gift. This means a lot to us. We'd like to have a more meaningful relationship with you. And so the gift in and of itself just becomes sort of that doorway into a more meaningful relationship. And we're signaling to the donor, not that we're always chasing after their money, but in fact, we want a meaningful relationship. And, and, and so therefore the relationship starts at a, point, at, a, at a point in place where our guard, both for the donor and for us as the solicitor, as the fundraising professional, is at its lowest. Oftentimes, Fundraisers, just like donors, get very uncomfortable when that telephone rings and we know there's a de development officer on the other side of that call. But if we see it, if we see everything beginning at the place where someone's saying, thank you, our guard is much lower, we drop that wall, and, uh, and we can start in a much more meaningful place. I hear you. I hear you. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, uh, I think those are great insights, uh, Lewis and I, or Jason. I appreciate you uh, uh, sharing those insights. You know, you've had a long, not too long, but you know, you've been at this a few weeks. Hey, I've is, been around a little while. <laughs> yeah, like me. What What is your uh, What is it that you're most proud of having accomplished? Well, I mean, I got the. Uh, you know, it took me three tries, but. Uh, the, the book project that I did get done last year um, is probably is certainly probably what I'm most what I see as my greatest accomplishment to date. Um, I've raised a lot of money, worked for a lot of organizations. I've got a pretty good uh, did did my graduate work in nonprofit management. So I, I've managed to get my head wrapped around how all this works. But I have to say that uh, you know professionally speaking, getting my ideas on paper 
and then now being able to uh, much more clearly articulate what my philosophy of fundraising is and how I feel like it should work for organizations in order for them to create the most meaningful experiences both for both sides of the charitable exchange. Um, that book project is certainly, uh, certainly has to be top of the list, yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you, yeah. yeah. So, so Jason, uh, what's the most powerful lesson you've learned over your career? I had a donor, that's a really great question, and I don't even know if it was in the script, but that was a very good question, thank you. Um, so I was doing a feasibility study with a, uh, with a client on the West Coast in, in, in Los Angeles uh, about three years ago, and uh, I'm meeting with this woman, and this woman says to me, she says that the organization keeps asking me for an increasingly an increasing level of support. They, they keep asking me for more and more support, but she said they keep giving me the same shallow relationship in return. Um, this was probably the second or third wealthiest individual in the community. She's probably a baby boom, you know, a young baby boomer in her mid fifties, late fifties, um, probably giving to a number of organizations. So she probably experiences fundraising, um, in a lot of, you know, how fundraising plays out for a lot of organizations. And she's basically saying to me that my client keeps asking her to come to the same event and they keep asking for more and more, but they're not giving her anything in return. I mentored or modeled for my client uh, what it means to sort of lean into that relationship. But that's certainly, that, that was probably the most significant moment for me is when she, when she described that, uh, that experience for herself. You know, that really is an important insight because so, uh, you know, I, I've experienced, I, I'm certainly not wealthy, uh, but, but I've experienced that. And, and for, for better reasons than she did, um, uh, there was a time in my career when I was giving more and, uh -huh. uh, and as my giving waned, I, I discovered that the relationships I had with some of the people I was giving to uh, sort of evaporated and it did. It, 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 it's hard not to take that personally. And so I could see how a woman who is getting asked for more and more money without having that relationship mature with that request would feel really kind of insulting, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think if you think about what the nonprofit sector's identity is, so if the if the nonprofit sector itself was a was an individual, and if you thought about the identity of the nonprofit sector, our posture and our concern, our heart, if you will, is for the sort of the downtrodden, for the marginalized, for the people that don't have, not you know, for the have-nots, not the haves. And I think our identity gets so wrapped up in that that we don't know how to recognize and acknowledge and, and care for and respond to the needs of these individuals that essentially empower us to go and meet the needs of the people that we're called out to do that for. Um, this woman does have a lot of wealth, but she's a human being just like the rest of us, and she deserves the decency of a meaningful relationship. And, 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 and I think that's the opportunity that fundraisers have is to be that 
to be that meaningful bridge between the haves and the have-nots. And if fundraisers don't see their role that way, if they don't develop confidence with the people that have, like they've developed a commitment with the people that have not, um, it doesn't make for a very meaningful experience, quite frankly, for anyone at the table. And ultimately, the mission doesn't get funded. Um, if, 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 my, or if my client at the time, and my client did make some strides in this particular relationship, but if they didn't genuinely learn how to build a relationship with her, um, ultimately it was going to uh, undermine some of their opportunity to proceed with their mission. Boy, yeah. Yeah. It's such a powerful insight. Well, uh, Jason, you have uh, been at this for a while, and you've developed a, a great reputation. What drew you to nonprofit fundraising? Well, I, um, I think I'm, I'm certainly, I think I'm one of those last in our generation that talks in the, in the sort of the fundraising profession. I think I'm some of the last few that say that we sort of stumbled upon it. Um, I think you've got a younger fundraising professional now coming into the work much more deliberately and intentionally choosing it as a very legitimate career path. But my wife and I, after we got married, she was working for an organization that I was very passionate about, but I, but the particular organization didn't have a role for me at the time. And so young and married, and I was still finishing college, my wife and I sought out an opportunity where we could work with an organization together. And we found that organization in the uh, southwest, southwest corner of Virginia at a children's home. So we went to work for this children's home. We're in our early 20s. And I find myself find myself sort of discovering very quickly that I was not really fit for um, for the frontline um, direct care, direct service work. I was uh, rather than caring for these children, these youngsters as a uh, maybe as an adult or a parent, I actually behaved probably more like a, a big brother, a goofy older brother. And um, and so that didn't work very well for myself. But what the staff recognized is that, hey, Jason might be well suited for the development role that had recently been vacated. And so they gave me this role at 23, 22, 23 years old. They got me a lot of training. I was a young person at the time and maturing myself as a young adult. Well, this is, uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that uh, with us. It's a powerful uh story it kind of is telling to see how kind of this industry has changed and so many people are now drawn into this uh because it's an identifiable career path but it, you know a generation ago it, it wasn't so clearly jason i really appreciate you taking the time to be with us this afternoon it's really been a pleasure to have you and appreciate the insights you've shared with us before you go i wonder if you would take just a moment to tell people how they can learn more about you and how they can connect yeah. with you. Yeah, so my book is available on Amazon. It's called The War for Fundraising Talent. Well, uh, Lewis, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We wish you every success in helping more companies raise more money or more organizations raise more money for the good they're doing in the world and uh, make, make the world a better place. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, all righty. Let's do some good. At Caring Crowd, we believe everyone has the power to make a difference. Through our crowdfunding platform for community health, we empower passionate people to drive real change. Whether you work for a nonprofit organization, volunteer, or want to get involved for the first time, 
you can post a campaign on Caring Crowd. Join us, because caring is where change begins. Thank you for listening. Devonthorpe's mission is to end extreme poverty, improve global health, and mitigate climate change before 2045 by finding and sharing the stories of those who are doing the most good. You can join with other listeners to accelerate Devon's mission by visiting helpdevon.org right now.